You know, last week, um, uh, Tehi sent a message on the New City WhatsApp group uh, wishing Happy Men's Day. And I was really surprised because I honestly didn't know that there was such a thing that existed, Men's, uh, men's Day. And just as I was kind of recovering from that surprise, uh, Sachin Tendulkar decided to celebrate Men's Day. And so he made a statement saying, there's no shame in tears, it's okay for men to cry. And his statement kind of made me uh, kind of aware that, oh, men have emotions too. <laughs> Generally, the only time we think of men and emotions is when it's a joke. Uh, and and, and, and I, I, I can relate to this. Um, Generally, men uh, are, let's, let's put it mildly, uh, a little challenged when it comes to emotionally expressing themselves or even understanding uh, their own emotions. And honestly, I felt men had uh, very little hope at all in terms of growing into um, you know, emo emotionally uh, alive and sophisticated uh, uh, creatures. But there's just one thing that stopped me from completely uh, 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 losing all hope of men growing in emotions. Just one thing that made me pause and actually believe that men do have hope when it comes to growing in our emotions. And that reason is a huge book in the Bible called the Psalms. The Psalms are a collection of about 150 songs written to God. The Psalms are the most emotional part of the Bible. Sorrow, joy, anger, confusion, disappointment, griefs. The Psalms are very sensitive and, and quite robust in their understanding and articulation of the full spectrum of the depth and complexity of almost every human emotion. And given this, this pretty emotionally complex nature of the Psalms, do you know what's the single most surprising aspect of the Psalms? Pretty much every one of them has been written by men. So to me, reading the book of Psalms, which are so rich in emotions, that kind of gave me hope that, that hey, there is, there is hope for, for men. And so this morning, maybe to celebrate Men's Day, <laughs> I'm going to look at a Psalm this morning. Uh, psalms invite us into an emotional relationship with God. And I think that's very important at a time like this. Because I think we live in a world where our notion of God is quite abstract. We, we struggle to see God as a person with emotions just like us, but only pure and holy, blameless, unlike us. And so in that sense, the Psalms help us break this notion that God is distract and distant and abstract and, and some power out there. No, Psalms tell us that God is an emotional being. Second, as, as you know, intelligent, um, modern, scientific, um, uh, well-read people, we struggle to um, engage with God emotionally. And so the Psalms invite us and show us how we can have an emotional relationship with God. That's definitely not what I meant by emotions. Um, we're looking at Psalm 46 today. And allow me to read that Psalm for us. It's going to come up for us on the screen as well. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give away, 
and the mountains fall into the hearts of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fail. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in a uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. If this is your first time in a church, if you have never read the Bible before, this might sound a little challenging for you, but, but please bear with me. I'm going to break this down so that all of us can keep track. But first, allow me to pray for us. Uh, Father, we thank you for this time. We pray, Father, that even as I um, speak this morning, would you help every one of us experience God even in our emotions? Uh, I pray that uh, today God will not just seem as a thought that we consider and maybe worship from afar, uh, but I pray that you will lead us, every one of us, Lord, into an experience of, of knowing God emotionally, of experiencing God in our emotions, and in that, bring home Emmanuel to us, God with us. Help us know that Christ Jesus is with us, close to us, near to us, dear to us, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The big idea of this psalm is that God is our refuge, that God is our hiding place in times of emotional or other trouble. And so this psalm offers both an invitation and also some helpful training on how to run to God as our hiding place when we are in emotional distress. It shows us how to find and enjoy God as a hiding place when we are hurting emotionally or we are afraid or when we are feeling sad or perhaps even depressed. We all have to deal with these difficult emotions in our life. Fear, loneliness, sadness, grief, disappointment, even depression. And often we are overwhelmed by these emotions and we're quite confused on how do we handle these emotions? How do we cope with these emotions? And it is here that this psalm is so beautiful because this psalm invites us to enjoy God as our refuge and strength. But is he? Have we really yet learned to enjoy God as our refuge as a hiding place. And that's what this psalm is coaching us in. This psalm is a psalm of refuge. It is not a psalm of deliverance. And it's important to make this distinction. We all understand the theology of deliverance, but we don't fully grasp the theology of refuge. And, and I want to spend some time talking about this difference between the theology of deliverance and the theology of, of refuge. What's the difference? The theology of deliverance is quite simple. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus, even if you're just an explorer, uh, you would know, all of us know this intuitively. The theology of deliverance basically says, if I am in pain, God will heal me. If I am in sickness, God will heal me. If I don't have a job and I pray to God, God will help me get a new job. If I'm having trouble in a relationship, 
God will help me sort it out. This is the theology of deliverance. We call to God, we pray to God, and He answers our prayer and meets our need or heals our sickness. And we all understand this very intuitively. That's the theology of deliverance. God fixing, solving, healing our problem. But the theology of refuge is quite different. Quite different. The theology of refuge or God as a hiding place kicks in when our sickness is not healed. The theology of refuge kicks in when we lose a job and don't get another job soon enough. It comes into play when we have a bad or even an abusive boss and we are unable to find another job. The theology of refuge comes to our aid when we are in a difficult relationship with a husband or a wife or a father, mother or a child, and things just aren't getting better. It is in these moments when we don't fully understand why God is not solving our problem, it is in these moments we need to know that we can find safety and comfort and refuge in God, even though these problems are real, present, and refuse to go away. And that's what the first verse in the psalm is talking about. God is my refuge and my strength. And so the theology of refuge helps us hide in God even when there's a storm raging around us. All of us know that we live in a fallen and imperfect world. This world is not going to be perfect anytime soon. It's going to be perfect only when Christ comes again. Only then is all the hurt and problems of this world is going to go away. Until then, we have, you and I, we have to deal with emotional hurt and pain. And that is why a sound theology of refuge as opposed to only a theology of deliverance, is so important to us. I think we all understand this. If we do not have a theology of refuge, our faith may not endure in a fallen world. If we don't know God as our hiding place, our faith may not endure when difficult times hit us. If we only have a theology of deliverance and we don't have a theology of refuge, we become very vulnerable to reject God or at least doubt Him when we walk through prolonged seasons of pain. Every time we have a trouble or a challenge and we pray to God and it seems that God is not answering us, we don't know what to do. We are completely at loss. That's because we don't have a good theology of, of refuge. You know, just because there's a storm raging around us does not mean that God does not love us or care for us. In fact, in the middle of the storm, God offers Himself as our refuge. And that's what the first verse in this psalm is teaching us. God is my refuge, an ever-present help in times of trouble. The theology of refuge invites us to come to God and to be held tenderly in His arms when a storm is raging outside. 
in some ways, the theology of refuge invites us to a deeper intimacy with God, even more than a theology of deliverance. You see, if we have a problem and we cry to God and like a, like a genie, God just fixes all our problems, how are we really growing in our intimacy with God? On the other hand, when God holds us close to Him, tenderly, lovingly, when He embraces us, when He invites us, when He allows us to hide in His arms as we are being crushed by emotional pain and distress, it is in that moment where we're experiencing God as a refuge that we are really growing in our intimacy of God. And that's why this psalm cries out, God is my refuge of very present help in time of trouble. Do we have a good theology of refuge? That's really the question that I want to engage with us this morning. That's the central theme of the psalm, and that's the central theme of, of the sermon. God is my refuge and my strength. I'd like to draw three things out for us from this psalm. First, I want to talk about the need for refuge. Second, I want to talk about training our hearts to take refuge in God. And third, rethinking our need for refuge. So the need for refuge training our hearts to take refuge in God and rethinking our need for refuge. Let's start with the need for refuge. Uh, many of us live in uh, big societies in Mumbai. And every society has a floor where they don't build a home. That floor has open windows. They call, this, they call it the refuge floor. Uh, you know, whenever there's a fire or any untoward incident in the building, everyone in the building, everyone who's living in that complex is trained to run to that floor of refuge from where evacuation, etc., becomes easy. And if you've lived in a society, you know that every society proactively trains its residents to know where this, this floor of refuge is, refuge area as they call it, to know where it is, and so that we are, you know, there are drills that are conducted, etc. So we know that we can quickly uh, go into that place and, and, and take refuge. The question I want us to think about this morning is, are our souls trained to run to God as our refuge in times of emotional pain? Have we ever done a drill that's going to teach us to know instinctively we can run to God as a refuge? Do we know that? Now imagine if the same building where the residents are offered no training at all. And so if, if in, that's a scenario, if there's a fire, they're going to run helter-skelter. They're not going to run to the place of refuge, but they're going to run here and there. And that's what happens to us when we don't train our souls to find refuge in God. When emotional trouble hits us and hits us, it will. We run here and there. And so I want us to just think about for a moment, where all have we been running for refuge in our times of trouble? I think there are broadly four areas we all run to. And I want to just quickly walk through them to, to help us just see where our own souls are. First, when we are in trouble, some of us run into the fight and not into the refuge. You know, when someone hurts us emotionally, we don't run into refuge, but we run into the fight to hurt them back. 
That's our instinctive response. If someone's hurt us emotionally, we want to hurt them 10 times over. And some of us, we are pretty good at that. We run into the fight. We don't run into the refuge. Some of us, we run. My wife is laughing because she knows who, who I'm talking about. She's experienced that. Some of us run into loneliness. When there is trouble, when we feel emotional pain, we run into and, and hide by our, hide in ourselves. And we punish those who has hurt us, who have hurt us, by withdrawing ourselves. If this is you, this is what Psalm 46.1 is going to read like for you. You're not going to be saying, God is my refuge. You're going to say, I am my refuge and I am my strength. The third place we all run to are distractions. Food, sex, work, Netflix, binge watching series after series, spending, pornography. Sometimes I run, when I'm emotionally hurt, I may not run into any of these. Yeah, I sure run to food. Uh, I actually run to prepare a sermon. <laughs> I'm being honest. <laughs> you know, we all find such such creative, innovative ways to run away from God. I, I run into ministry. I run into think and planning about the church. Uh, you know, so I, I can forget my pain. You see, I'm learning to find refuge in something else other than God. Some of us are a little better off. We run into other people. We run to other people for refuge. Now, that's a good thing. There's wisdom in that. There is, there is uh, safety in that. There's uh, counsel in that. There's, there is healing in that. But the thing we do is we run to people who will only pamper us. We do not run to people who speak the truth in love to us. If someone speaks the truth in love to you once when you run to him or her in pain, I can assure you, you're not going back to her again. Like you're going to find, you and I, both of us, we are the same. We're going to find people who will pamper us and will say, oh, it's okay, you're so right. It is completely his or her fault, you know. So let's not run to those people. You know, let's run to people who will speak the truth to us uh, in life. And each of us, we are capable of running into all of these four areas. We are all experts in finding refuge in many things, anything other than God. But the psalm is a call. It's an exhortation to find God as our refuge. You know, Aji and I, we, my wife and I, we have our awa moments. Uh, if you remember the word awa from one of our earlier sermons, it's a Hebrew word, which is a one way of defining sin. Basically, it says uh, we are all twisted out of shape. And, you know, my wife and I, we were designed to be together, but we were twisted out of shape, so we, are, we cannot hit, we, we cannot fit together. So we have our moments when we don't fit together. So when we have those moments, I run into the fight. You know, I, I just go and fight. And she runs into herself. And she kind of, kind of withdraws. So what happens is we basically end up destroying each other for a few hours until both of us desperately run to God as our refuge. And I wish we had done that uh, we do that more often right at the beginning rather than hurt each other first and then see God as, as a refuge. So I think the need, I think it's pretty apparent that we all need training. It doesn't come naturally to us. Let's face it, our first response is not to run to God. And so we need training. 
how, how do we train ourselves? How do we coach ourselves to constantly keep running to God as our refuge in times of emotional pain? And that's the second thing that I want to draw for us from this psalm. Training our hearts to take refuge in God. Let's think about something, something really, really basic. Why would the psalm want us to know God as our refuge? This psalm wants us to know God as a refuge because this psalm is assuming the presence of emotional trouble in this world. Implicit in this invitation to enjoy God as a refuge is an assumption that there will be emotional pain in this world. After all, if there is going to be no trouble, why on earth is God offering himself to us as a refuge, as a hiding place? And, and so this psalm is extremely pragmatic about the painful realities of this fallen and imperfect world. And I, I bet, and if you're an explorer, I'm sorry if you've run into this kind of a Christian. I'm sure we've all met Christians who kind of pretend everything is okay in the world. You know, the Christians who pretend that if you follow Jesus, you will never have any trouble at all. And if you're having trouble, that's your fault. Um, and we all know that's not quite true. And this psalm doesn't take that posture. The psalm doesn't take that posture. The psalm takes a more pra pragmatic, very practical, down-to-earth, real-life posture. And the theme of God as our refuge is such a recurring theme in the book of Psalms. We see this idea and we see this exhortation to find God as a refuge or God as our hiding place in Psalm 7, Psalm 14, Psalm 16, 25, 28, 31, 52, 61, 62, 71, 91, 94, 118, 143, to name just a few. In fact, 69 of the 150 Psalms of the Bible engage with this idea of God as a refuge or hiding place in some form or the other. That's almost half the Psalms coaching us and training us and reminding us that we need to run to God as our refuge. Why are the Psalms talking so much about God as the refuge? Simple answer again. The Psalm correctly assumes that you and I, we are going to go through a lot of emotional pain and trouble in this world. That's a given. And the Psalm is teaching us to find God as a refuge. Now, while this psalm is this psalm and all the other psalms which talk about God as, their, as our refuge is extremely real and pragmatic in engaging with the reality of pain, this psalm is also quick to point us to the greatest future hope you and I have, eternal life with Christ Jesus. Verses 1 and 3 in this psalm talk about present pain, but verses 4 to 5 immediately points us to the greatest hope that we have. That Christ Jesus is going to come one day. And when he comes back, he's going to wipe out every tear, every sin, every shame, every sickness, every ill will between men is going to be wiped out. And Christ Jesus is going to bring forth a perfect city, a perfect world once again. Psalm 
4 and 5, I mean, this psalm, verses 4 and 5 in this psalm is kind of a verbatim replication of, of the, this great promise outlined for us in the book of Revelation chapter 22, which is the last book of the Bible. And allow me to read both of these passages for us. First, verses 4 and 5, which immediately follows in this psalm 46, the verses which talk about being very pragmatic in acknowledging present pain. Verses 5 and 6, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The same idea is kind of captured for us in Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 to 4. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kind of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Nothing, no longer will anything be cursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name shall be on their foreheads. foreheads. The psalm is inviting us to remember, to hold firm, to the eternal hope of a perfect world with Christ Jesus that every one of us who believes in Christ Jesus has. And so that's the first way the psalm is training us to find God as a refuge. This psalm is training us, it's, this psalm is teaching us how to hold a balanced perspective between present pain and future hope. I want to introduce a word, a, a complex word, but I'll explain that. The word is called eschatology. Uh, eschatology is basically a study of the end times. It's basically uh, uh, the theology, that part of theology which deals with how Christ is going to come again, the final judgment and the eternal destiny of, of this world. Some of us, we have an over-realized eschatology. What, what do I mean by that? What I mean by over-realized eschatology is some of us tend to think that the perfect world is here and now. So anytime anyone comes to you and shares any kind of problem with you, your first response is, don't worry, it will be fine. We just say that glibly. I I'm so guilty of this. You know, when someone says that, you know, I feel like telling, telling them, excuse me, I am sorry. Nothing is going to be fine in this world till Christ comes again. You know, we, we, all, we are all guilty of it. It's not just one or two of us. Every one of us, we all tend to over-spiritualize things. We, we, we tend to just, just you know, be unrealistic or, or, or even shallow in promising people, don't worry, it's going to be okay. It's not going to be okay. You know, every time we say that, we're, we're trivializing that person's pain. You know, how are you going to feel when you're deep in pain and you go to someone and someone says, don't worry, it's going to be okay. Sure, it'll be okay when Christ comes again. Till then, we have to deal with this. And we don't have to deal with this alone. We can deal with this as God, our refuge. The opposite mistake of uh, having an over-realized eschatology is having an under-realized eschatology. And these are people who will say, even God cannot help me. Oh, God has forgotten me. God has abandoned me. You know, God doesn't like me. You know, that's a very uh, subtle and a very high form of pride. I'm so, my sins are so bad that even God can't help me. Oh, my struggles are so bad that even God, God can't help me. That's an underrealized eschatology. That, that's lack of faith. That's unbelief. That's rejecting God. 
That is trying to make God small. He is not small. And so both are wrong approaches. And this psalm, this psalm is so helpful in holding, in, in finding the balance between these two errors because this psalm is teaching us, is taking a very pragmatic approach to pain. It's saying pain and suffering are real. They're not going to go away in this world. But hey, wait. There is this great eternal hope we have. And until we realize that hope, we can find refuge in God. Until that day comes, we can be tenderly embraced by God. God is our hiding place. And this psalm resonates so well with what Jesus said. Look at uh, John chapter 16, verse 33. It'll come up for us on the screen. This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Present pain, future hope. Both twin realities. So when Jesus says there will be trouble in this world, please don't say it'll be fine to anyone who's hurting. We need to grieve with them. We need to feel their pain. We need to be with them, walk with them, and offer them the future hope, and offer them God as the present refuge. We have to remember that hope, our hope in Jesus, may not always take away present pain entirely, but it will give us the grace to endure it. God is our refuge and strength of very present help in times of trouble. Do you know this God? Have you experienced this tender embrace of God as your hiding place in your time of emotional pain? That's the first way the psalm is training us. This psalm is telling us that when we hide in Christ, we learn to live with this twin reality of present struggle and future hope. There is a second way this psalm is coaching us, coaching us to enjoy God as our refuge, as our hiding place. And this is the second way. This psalm is showing us that experiencing God in our present trouble, experiencing God as our refuge in our present trouble is the best training to face future trouble. Every time we experience God as our refuge in present trouble, we are being trained by God to become better equipped at enjoying God as our refuge in future trouble. We don't quite know exactly when the psalm was written, but, but Bible commentators agree that they were written in one of two instances. In both instances, this nation of Israel whom God had called, and Jesus descended from that nation, whom God had called was covered by armies all along, all around. And the psalm was written in the face of a very real threat of being wiped out by an enemy enemy nation. And so if you read verses 1 and 2 in this context, so the psalmist, the writer of the song is probably in the middle of the city with walls around and there's a huge army surrounding him. It looks like this army is going to run over the city. It's in that moment the psalm is being written. And if you see it from that background, the first two verses are quite surprising. It reads, therefore we will not fear, verse 2, therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though mountains uh, tremble at its swelling. This psalm is not talking about the army around them. This psalm doesn't just say, God is my refuge when nations attack me. 
the psalm is saying god is my refuge even when the world comes to an end look at the language of the psalm mountains are being moved into the sea this is uh, this is kind of it's almost uh, uh, apocalyptic it's kind of presuming it's kind of imagining the end of the world even and so when the psalmist is experiencing faith in god in the middle of present trouble he sees this army against him and he's experiencing god as refuge in present trouble in that moment he is rehearsing faith in god for future trouble to come he's rehearsing his faith in god for future trouble in the moment of enjoying the tender embrace of god in knowing god as a refuge in present trouble he is coaching himself in the present trouble in finding refuge in god in the present trouble he's coaching himself to prepare to coach his soul to find refuge in god in future trouble the psalmist is not wasting his present trouble he's not wasting it even as he's experiencing god as his refuge in present trouble he's training himself to find refuge in god even in a greater future trouble let me kind of make this really practical in our in our lives um i think it was in the beginning of october uh, most of you know that i work with the economic times and i've kind of worked to working just two days a week as a consultant as opposed to working full time before so i can spend more time in the church and ministry and all of that and uh, around october um a colleague of mine who was also on a contract like me but working full time he gave me a call and he kind of told me that they've not renewed his employment contract and uh, he told me that hr has uh, kind of told him that they're not renewing the contract of any consultants uh, it's a slow down all of us can feel feel it all around uh, and uh, so this this colleague told me that his contract has not been re- renewed and he is to look for a job when i heard that news i was thinking man this guy works full time as a consultant and they've not renewed this i work only 2 days a week and i'm indispensable uh, you know they can do without me and i have a month to before my contract comes for renewal and i haven't heard from hr yet and i began to fear i began to uh, imagine the worst fear so a day or two i as usual i did not run to god as refuge that was not my first response uh, but a day or two later i i began um you know god just helped me um um uh, you know go to him god drew me to him and i began in through very quiet moments um uh not easy moments quiet moments very slowly very gradually you know i would wake up in the morning just just go i have a favorite spot in my home go sit there as soon as i wake up and i just learn slowly to put my faith in god slowly to find god as my refuge and and i initially i didn't know how to do this and and so i began to think about the goodness of god I began to focus on this God who would give his son to die for me and I began to go back to this verse which says if God gave his son to you what good will he withhold from you and I began to grow in my faith and I began to understand and I began to articulate this in my prayers through the season that even if I lose my job I can trust in the goodness of God to take care of me 
And even through those pain of doubt and fear and uncertainty and anxiety, I began to enjoy God as my refuge. Now, you have to understand that this is not easy for me. You know, I, I grew up in a middle-class family. My parents really struggled economically to, to, to bring me up. And, and for the last 25 years that I've been working as a business journalist, one of my greatest fear, fears across those 25 years has been fear of losing my job. How will I provide for my family? How will I take care of the future? That's been a fear that's, that's gripped my heart. And this season of finding God as my refuge, so it took me about a fortnight, and then I came to a place where I began to feel confident in God that even if I lose my job, I can trust in the goodness of God to take care of me. I didn't quite realize it, but God was doing something in me in that season. The contract got renewed one month later by November 1st. The contract got renewed, but in that time when I was finding God as my refuge in that fear, God was training my heart to, to this reality which I believe he's leading Aji and I is to actually leave even those two days of working in ET and, and slowly, gradually move into a place where we can serve God and his people and his church full-time. And it is in this season that Aji and I, we found faith to prepare for this reality, which God willing might happen next year, if not next year, whenever it is, it is God's plan. But, but our hearts are ready for it. And God used that season of, of, of pain and, and fear and anxiety, and God used us experiencing Him as our refuge in that time to prepare us for the future. That brings us, and I want to close with this, the third and the last part from the psalm. Rethinking our need for refuge. Rethinking our need for refuge. Verse 7, and the last verse we're going to be looking at this morning. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Why is the psalm calling, them, calling God as the God of Jacob? For those of us who know the Bible, Jacob was a was a pretty messed up man. That's putting it mildly. I mean, to, to put it bluntly, he was a cheat and a con man. He cheated his brother. He cheated his father. Uh, he, he cheated because he was ambitious and he wanted to make it by hook or crook. But God met with Jacob. God healed Jacob. God saved him. God transformed him. And in that process, God renamed him as Israel. That's the nation from whom Christ Jesus descended. But here in the psalm, years after Jacob has been renamed Israel, God is saying, the God of Jacob is our fortress. And this mention of God of Jacob completely changed, turns the psalm on its head. Everything we've been talking about so far, God has, in this psalm is completely turned around its head, turned on its head by this reference of God of Jacob. Because the phrase God of Jacob reminds us that like Jacob, we are not only the aggrieved party, but we are also the offender. You know, Jacob was not an aggrieved party. Jacob did not suffer emotional pain because of others. Jacob caused emotional pain to others. He caused emotional pain to his brother. He caused emotional pain to his father, whom he deceived in his deathbed. Jacob was not just the aggrieved party, but Jacob was the offender. And in the psalm, God is telling us that he is the God of the offender. So let's stop pretending 
that we are the only ones in emotional pain. Let's stop pretending that only others have caused emotional pain to us. It's time that we wake up, stand up, man up, and acknowledge that you and I, we have also caused emotional pain to others. We have also hurt others. And yet, Jesus is God of the offender and the God of the aggrieved. And so when we begin to see ourselves not just as emotionally aggrieved people, when we begin to see ourselves also as emotionally offensive people, we realize that even as we enjoy God as our refuge, we actually need refuge from God. Because a holy God is not going to be kind and happy with people like you and I who have hurt others, who have caused emotional pain to others. And that is where the beauty of Christ Jesus shines through. Jesus took the punishment for your emotional offense against others. Jesus took the punishment of my emotional offense against others. He took it upon himself. And Jesus became our refuge from the wrath of a holy and just God. And in Jesus, both the aggrieved and the offender is forgiven. So when the psalm says the God of Jacob is the fortress, the psalm is saying the God of sinners Christ Jesus is our focus. I want to close in prayer. And after we pray, I'm going to invite Ashish to come up and he's going to lead us in a song. Just him and the guitar. The band will come up later. Even if this is your first time in a church, even if you've never prayed to Jesus before, if you are in emotional pain, uh, you can use this psalm as your worship, as your calling out to Jesus. He will hear you. He will answer you. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, May the psalm lead us, may the song lead us into a time of worship. Ashish is going to lead us in the song, then I'll come back close and end uh, with prayer. Now, we'll do that. Let me just close while Ashish gets ready. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to set up communion as well, transition into that as well as Ashish leads us in that song. Father, we thank you for this time. We pray in the name of Jesus. Minister to us, Lord. Teach us to find refuge in God. Teach us to find refuge in Christ Jesus. May this time of singing, may this communion, may this time of worship minister to us, speak to us, bring healing to the areas where we are hurting and help us, help us, Lord, to, to repent and change where we have hurt others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.